Hello, welcome to Shades and Layers, the podcast that shines the light on black women entrepreneurs. I'm Kuglonus Kwasana Ritchie, your host, and this season we're focusing on creative entrepreneurship. In today's episode, we head to the magical kingdom of Lesotho, where we meet Mudie Himafantiri, the co-founder of the fast-growing sustainable homeware brand Paradi. Mudiehi co-founded the company with her high school friend Mohonto with the aim of sharing Basotho culture through storytelling, preserving local traditions and contributing to the Lesotho textile industry in a sustainable way. They also have a digital story archive called Bonesa, which means to illuminate in Sesotho. In between all of this, Mudiehi is pursuing her master's in environment and society at the University of Pretoria. We had this conversation just as she finished her mid-years, and we had the chance to explore topics like finding local interest in sustainable design, the joys of reflecting traditions that they treasure in their work with Baradi, and paying homage to other Basu to trailblazers who are choosing the road less traveled. And this is how the conversation went. How would you describe your work? How would I describe our work? Hmm, tricky question. <laughs> okay, I'd really say that our work, not to be corny, but it really is more like a love letter to our cultures and the country that we come from. Mm. So, I mean, everything that we do really is just to represent our Basotho cultures, you know, something about our landscape, maybe um, a memory. And that's what we do. I think we, we really try best to tell Basotho stories through our designs mm. and to just keep our, our traditions alive and, and to, innovate, to innovate more traditions as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that language of love letter because, uh, you know, that's that's where your business is based. It used to be that in the past, uh, young people would finish their studies and then go look for a job in Johannesburg. Uh-huh. So sure. there seem to be quite a few startups in, uh, in, in Lesotho. So if you can touch a little bit on that startup scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. No, there really are quite a few startups on the rise. And I and I have to commend women especially because I've noticed particularly since 2019, maybe towards the beginning of 2020, just a, a lot of uh, a lot of young women just deciding to follow their passions or to make a way for themselves because the unemployment rates here are also quite high, especially where the youth are concerned. Mm. And so you find that the creative sector has, has really been, yeah, it's really been booming. It's really been booming in the past couple of years. So we see a lot of creative entrepreneurs coming up fashion and really really interesting fashion lines coming mm, up mm. and it's just interesting to see because it's not something that we saw growing up you know so yeah, what do you think happened i think what really happened is just that so uh but it's very conservative right mm-hmm. and it, it can be difficult for youth to find a voice for themselves or a space for themselves because you know we are somewhat undermined and it's always just about respecting your elders and, and doing what they say or leading a life path that they approve of and i mm-hmm. see that we're trying to you know swerve away from that and try to forge our own way so and i see that happening mostly with the youth and i think that's what's encouraging people to actually do something different to the, the understanding or the feeling that you know what actually i can do this and maybe there are other ways to make a life for myself aside from the traditional ways maybe i don't need to necessarily go to school maybe i can just work on my product maybe i can just gather some people like-minded people and we can create a business together mm. what did you mm-hmm. see that made you feel that this was a possibility when we started Baradi, it was really because we had such an, a great interest in, in um, fashion design. And 
just it, it took some time for us to realize that actually the fashion industry in Lesotho is terribly unsustainable and the environmental impact aside, the social impact are just completely inexcusable. Mm. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen this recently with uh, the protest happening for, for, for fair wages and even, even what's being protested for is below minimum wage, honestly, and still it's taken so much work to get there. Mm. Um, so after we realize that that's just not going to happen and, and it's not something that we want to partake in, then we realize that actually um, homemade is presents so many opportunities that are more sustainable and and homeware in Lesotho actually has a you know a really rich history that we can draw from and that we can continue to build on and some of these traditions are being lost so that's what that's what we saw and that made us go hmm, maybe let's do this mm. talk to me about that uh, history the rich history so where did you draw some of the inspiration that you've poured into Baradi? in more of our real areas you would see evidence of um of of this Lesotho design history. So for example, you would see um, the cave paintings, you would see Ditema. Ditema are, it's a mural art cultivated by Basoto women. And so these designs were then hand painted on onto their dwellings. Mm. And this would sometimes represent, you know, either uh, patterns related to, um, you know, cornfield or just particular symbols that they admired at the time. Mm. So it's just moving around the country and, and having, because both my partner and I, our families are not all based in the in the capital city. Mm. And so just traveling and, and having the, the, the life history of just moving around and, and seeing these different design aspects. So seeing people wear Diana Marena and seeing the designs on those blankets, and seeing, for example, with our Peto Harag, seeing like my partner talked about how she remembers seeing uh, female initiates wearing their veils, you mm, know, mm. those particular things. Yeah, mm. that's what we draw inspiration from. Mm. And then you made a few products uh, to reflect that tradition. What products do yeah. you have uh, that you are selling at the moment? At the moment, we have our Mbata rag, and that is inspired by Ditema. That's, I would, I would say maybe that's a favorite, um, a crowd <laughs> favorite. People seem to be it's really beautiful. drawn to that. <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> we have our Petoha rag, and that is you know, inspired by a veil that female initiates wear. We have our Tsiriloso throws, and those um, are not any direct patterns, but the colors are rather inspired by the natural landscape. So, for example, the violet gray is definitely inspired by the sky at, at sunset. Mm. Um, and we have our, our orange rust one, and that is inspired by Letsoku. And Letsoku is a sort of a mixture of um, red ochre and fat that is sometimes worn by, by either men or women during certain cultural uh, celebrations. Mm. Mm-hmm. And are you direct to customer or do you go through wholesalers? So both ways, I think you can contact us directly if there's like a custom order that, um, that you would like to work on. Mm. Um, however, m- mostly we have uh, stockists that we work through. So, for example, we have Ayadot Africa if you're in South Africa. We have the White Label Project if you're in Sweden. We have in Ugo um, if you are in Warsaw in Poland. Mm. And what's the, you've got a great big aim of being more internationally distributed? It pains us that it's, an, it's difficult to find customers that are really invested in, in sustainable products, especially in the sort of stuff, because that seems to be um, a disconnect that we're experiencing. Mm. But we would really, you know, we, we believe that there's, there's some value in our products and, and there's so much value in the stories we want to tell and the way that we want to, the way that we are actually practicing our business that we would love to have our designs just across the world. Mm. But uh, how did you get started? You know, what uh, what was the process? Did you get funding? Are you self-funded okay so we are not um we we have not been able to acquire funding although we really have been since the beginning in various processes of trying to acquire funding 
Mm. So it really is, has, has been a self-funded journey. So we have had to put money together to uh, try to sample our design. Mm. And up until this year, so we had a creative studio in which we were uh, producing branding and design solutions for creative entrepreneurs much like ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so for, for a large part, um, the design studio, the creative studio really allowed us to fund the product or the samples right. <laughs> in, our, in our home way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, are you interested in even securing funding or is this turning out to be a much better solution to go at it on your own? We really are interested in finding funding. However, you know, not all the glitters is gold. So, I mean, we, we've come <laughs> across that, you know, certain opportunities where we think, okay, no, this is really it. And, you know, upon further investigation, it's like, you know what, this is actually not it. And more than anything, I mean, we pride ourselves on, on being two people that can make something happen. Yeah. And so what we would hate to do is to sign up for something that would just end up being in, to our de- detriment. You know, mm, mm. I don't want to sign a contract that upon further investigation, it's like, oh, okay, wait, actually. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your products are handmade. So who do you work with? Where are they based, etc.? So in, in terms of producing the, the rugs and throws, so we work with weavers across the country. So the, the way that that's really come about is that we have come up with our designs and then we try to find or, or to look through a database of available weavers online and then see who, who is actually looking more equipped to be to make the product that we want. Mm. And so after that, then we're able to travel across the country to find them and to discuss whether or not, you know, there are certain capabilities that they have that we would be able to make this work. Mm. So the reason why we're really insisting on on producing things locally, like I said before, is that, um, you know, we noticed that sustainable production is something that's really lacking within our country. Mm. And it's something that would benefit the local economies more, especially considering that Lesotho is one of the leading um, producers in the region of Southern Africa of wool and mohair. So for us, that just uh, presented a a big opportunity to actually be about it. So not just say, okay, we want to do, we want to, you know, be sustainable, but like actually do the things that require us to to be sustainable. Mm. So Working with uh, lo- working with local weavers, we're able to um, actually support um, maybe a wider local network of um, wool and mohair producers because mm, they mm. source then. So our weavers will then source from their preferred supplier of wool and mohair. But they're right. they're all local except for our weavers in River who also use some wool that is sourced from Port Elizabeth in South Africa. Right, yeah. not too far from home. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> not too far from home at all. Not too far from home at all. At all. But you keep touching on uh, sustainability. Is this an area of interest for both of you? It is an area of interest for, for both of us, um, considering when we first wanted to start uh, that initially, we, we really had considered the fashion industry and the lack of sustainability really is something that made us move away from that. Um, it was also an interest for me because I'm uh, studying in the field of environmental science and more specifically, um, environment and society really is related to sustainable development. So mm-hmm. essentially how we can how we can fine-tune our processes of development to be more sustainable, you know, how we can have more sustained economic growth, Mm. if possible, in our lifetime. Mm. I mean, it makes sense to process raw materials locally. It's a no-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. so let's uh, move on to your entrepreneurial journey. (laughs) And I'm sure you've faced some challenges along uh, the way. I know you've also talked about ageism uh, and, you know, you're two young women at that. So how have you dealt, you know, with sexism and ageism? Ooh, 
Okay, it's really something that continues to require so much patience of us. I would think the older that we get, maybe the easier it becomes. But then aside from being young women, then the challenge is that we are young unmarried women and there's just even more of a lack of Oh my gosh, yes, there's that. So, <laughs> yes, and the societies that we're navigating and people that we deal with. And uh, so, you, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of like we are seen as... Um, children on on both aspects sure. being young and then being oh, unmarried yeah so yeah. it's only something that we can deal with with the support of our families really um mm-hmm. you know uh, both uh, and i are just um very well supported by our families and, and that's something that we're very grateful for mm. mm-hmm. is there one situation that stands out to you where you were thinking oh my goodness please take me now <laughs> <laughs> okay without giving too much information away <laughs> We had been sampling a product that, you know, we're still trying to get right and we still haven't managed to release it. And I had just gone to to actually see what um, what they'd managed to do so far. So my initials are um, MR, mm. right? And I think for some people that they tend to think it's Mr. Um, yes, of course. So, I, <laughs> so I, I get there and we've never met um, in person with this particular person. I just met the receptionist at the time. And they keep asking me, where the the man involved is you know who would then also be assumed to be my boss you know the person that i answer to right and so because i had just been on i'm like this person seems to be taking a very strange tone with me like they are talking down to me in a way that i just don't understand what's happening here only for them to to make that comment you know finally about okay so where's the where's the man that you work with the one that you answer to and uh, on top of that they had gotten had gotten the design wrong and so i i just had to leave i, I walked <laughs> out and i had to um <laughs> i had to call Moho and i'm like you cannot believe what is happening here oh, yeah unbelievable so you have the support of your family to help you through those challenges what about uh, mentors and role uh, you know the role models that you look up to uh, role models hmm. i feel like it's, it's such a difficult time to have role models because all our faves are problematic but I, I will say that for me, just um, yeah, the the women in my family have really always inspired me to do the best that I can do for myself and to push myself as far as I can mm. and to pursue my dreams, you know, to the full extent that I can. So, you know, just my mom, my mom is really one of my biggest role models and I've always appreciated how, you know, she's been steadfastly following her path mm. and the things that she wants for herself, she makes that happen. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also while being incredibly dressed, I have to say. If I am to to say, okay, um, this is what inspired me to kind of be interested in design. I think it would just be like being a child and and observing my mom's daily outfits and the things that she mm, chose, the patterns mm. she chose to put together, the colors. And she's just, yeah, no, very well dressed, very good at mixing prints. Mm. Um, I've always appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Shades and Layers with Kutuanus Kosana Ritchie. My guest today is Mudiehi Mafantiri, the co-founder of Baradi, a homeware brand in Lesotho. Earlier on, I mentioned a digital story archive that Mudiehi and her co-founder Moho have started, and you will hear more about it in this next part of our conversation on Shades and Layers. We also get some insights, some of her deep insights, into working with a close friend, her take on sustainability and fair trade. Also, the importance of being in charge of your own narrative. 
how did you guys meet you and Mojo? Uh, Mojo and I went to high school together. So right. we were, so we have been, we have been friends for quite some time. And then, you know how normally people kind of drift apart, you know, once you get to university and you go to different universities because she went to, she went to BITS to pursue um, a degree in information systems and an mm. honors as well. Mm. And I went to the University of the Free State to pursue geography and environmental management. But in our first year, that's when we actually registered, we copyrighted our name. We copyrighted Bahadi. Um, right. And we we had a, yeah, we were determined to make it happen. Wow. Uh, yeah. Interesting that neither of you studied fashion. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, I know. I mean, the interest in design has always been there. And specifically for her, I mean, she's a brilliant artist. Mm. Um, and, you know, after pursuing her her degrees in information systems, that's when she decided that she's really going to pursue her dream um, to be an artist professionally. Mm. And, you know, she's exhibiting across the world and just doing the most amazing things. Mm. So, mm. you know, e- even without that formal training in um, fashion or maybe textile design, she really is an artist and um, yeah. is able to produce some really, mm. really interesting work. I mean, what have you learned about combining your education, which is unrelated? Well, yours is kind of related to what you're doing. But, you know, combining your education with running a business, you know, what have you borrowed from the training that you're applying to your practice on a daily basis? So, I mean, I think from from both Moho and I's um, tertiary tertiary education, we are mm. we are able to draw some things from there and and, and incorporate them in, in how we build our business. So um, she studied a BCom in in in, in information systems. Mm, okay, so, so there's a commercial that, element, yeah. Yeah. So with that commerce background, it's really something that's been so useful for us because she's able to advise on things like our business plan and and, and how we are doing things, policies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and just the general operations and logistics. So we have that background. And for me, studying geography and environmental management, uh, that definitely has influenced my understanding of, 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 for example, of fair trade and um, a decent mm-hmm. supply chain and how to actually contribute meaningfully to a local economy. Mm-hmm. And also learning learning at university how to make a good decision really yeah. is something that you can use to to, to move your business forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So mm-hmm. what's your take on that whole, what, that certification of fair trade? Right. So I think that there is value in, in getting a certificate as such, you know, but I also, hmm, I'm not entirely sold on it only because there are ways to move around that. And I think that that can be my biggest problem with how um, our society in general is, is trying to implement sustain, more sustainable practices. Is that it becomes mm-hmm. more like a, what can I say, like a tag that you can just own. Like you can just say your business is, is operating in this way. And maybe according to that that system, then you are. But I'm not too sure about the practical aspects of it all. Yeah, I think that's all that yeah, I can Yeah, I think say. what strikes yeah. me is that it should just be a, a normal practice. Just pay people exactly. what they're worth. <laughs> yes, yeah, pay people that what they're worth. But also the calculation of that. That's why I'm just like, mm, I don't know about the complete accuracy mm. there. Yeah, because it continues to be such a challenge that it's like uh, people are not always paid what they... Firstly, there's a lot of negotiating, especially where, where we're talking about production in, in developing countries. Yep. There's, there's, there's always a, a level that they will not go above and they know that, right? So yep. like we're speaking about developers or, or producers from, um, or rather factories companies from the West mm-hmm. developing in, in, in developing countries it's just like they know that they will not pay more than this amount and 
in, even though that amount is legally like on paper, it's like, okay, no, that's fine. That's minimum wage. That's okay. We've calculated that this is how much you need to pay people in order for it to be fair trade. And then it turns out that that's actually not like realistically, practically, it's just not allowing people to, to, or to live like a decent yeah. life. Yeah. They're not um, livable wages. Those yeah. are not livable. Livable wages versus, you know, fair trade. It's just, yeah, that's what I'm just saying. I don't know about all of that being. But also, it's a, it just impl- there's an implication, right, in that fair trade that if you source from a developing economy, you don't have to pay what you would pay the guy mm-hmm. who sells to you at the cafe down the road. True, true. So there's that. And that. That is unethical. Um, it bothers me that it's being marketed as the best way forward. It's actually not. You're right. I think I think it's just, like I said, it's just like um, a front. And it's not yeah. where the real work is being done. Yeah. But I, I will say this much. I think it's very, it's very challenging to kind of make the economy that we have to be more sustainable. Um, yeah. Like it's significantly challenging. Mm. So I think although... This is not the best way forward. It is kind of a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. really hoping that better things can can come from that. That's also going to take some acknowledgement on the, on the side of these companies. Like they have to acknowledge publicly that hey, there's actually some there are actually some um, disadvantages to what we're saying. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's not all good in the hood. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But uh, there's, of course, a social impact when it comes to the work that you do. How how do you measure success when you've got, you know, bottom line considerations and you also want to have a social impact? So one of our big goals, right, is to have our own weaving workshop in which we would be able to actually facilitate the transfer of skills Mm. from uh, our master weavers across the country, most of whom are are quite elderly, to to the youth, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to do. We want to quite literally keep that tradition going. So for us to, for me to think, okay, we're now successful, that it would have to be that we would be at a point where we're doing that, where we have our weaving workshop, where we are able to make sure that we are sourcing the best of our own local wool and Mm -hmm. mohair. If we could do that, then I think it would be so much easier for us to build more of a name for ourselves abroad and to have our products in more stores. Mm. And at that point, we would be successful. If we could say we've done this for our own local community, then mm. yeah, that for me nice. would be yeah. real, real success. Yeah. Mm. Let's go back to your journey with uh, Moho. Mm-hmm. What's been the best thing about working with your friend and what's been the biggest challenge about working with a close friend? The best thing about working um, with Moho is really that she's my friend. I know her and um, and I love her and I understand her. Um, well, for the most part, right? Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just been building a company is really something that's going to take a lot out of you. And it will, it will require you to push yourself more than maybe what you would have imagined. And so it's just, it's so nice to know that um, the person that I'm, I'm doing all of this with is really in my corner. Mm. You know, they're not um this is not a stranger this is a person that i know mm-hmm. and and then on top of that like she's also just a really great person that's really the best part of this all is that you know i'm able to do this with someone that is one very knowledgeable very grounded very creative really in my corner and yeah mm. have there and been then, any hard conversations that you've had to have oh yeah naturally yeah there are definitely difficult conversations to have i mean I mean, a friendship, like any other relationship, will have its, its, its ups and downs. And, you know, there are some business decisions that maybe we won't be on the same page about um, initially. But mm. you have to talk it through, I think. And I think that's also maybe where the fact that we're friends um, actually benefits us because 
Yeah. Because we are accountable to one another, we have to see it through. There mm-hmm. is no, ah, I'm going to walk away and I'm not going to fix this problem. Like, we're not going to address this issue. Like, we have to address the problem. Mm-hmm. You, know? you have to see um, it through. Yeah. What, what are the challenges of working with, with a friend? I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a challenge of working with a friend in general. I think specifically maybe a challenge that we would have is just that like with her she's a lot more i mean because she has a commerce background and all of that Mm. so with some decisions she has a a different perspective than i would have right and i really am more of a jump the gun type of person whereas she's really (laughs) more of an analytical you know thinker and wants to see all the elements in in play and etc etc right so maybe that's sometimes where where we will disagree but i appreciate i appreciate having that perspective and at the end of the day having both both our perspectives allows us to move forward Mm. so i actually wanted to ask you something with regards to that you know your interest in traditions and storytelling there's a story by oh yes what yes my baby my baby so Mosa's um, story is actually the first one that we published under Bonessa. And Bonessa means or to shine a light. And so what we really wanted to do was to create a digital archive of stories of African creatives and more specifically Basotho creatives. Mm. Uh, and just to kind of take take the lead in telling our own stories. So aside from us being able to share these stories through our, our design, right, mm-hmm. we wanted to actually have a different archive on our website. Mm. And so Moso is a writer based between Lesotho and, and South Africa. And me, Moho, and I have always been fans of his work. I mean, we went to high school together and I just mm-hmm. definitely identified um, yeah. from, from an early stage at Newman. This person's writing is very special. Lovely voice, yeah. Mm. Mm. Moho and I would often talk about how if, if we heard about Lesotho on, um, like in the news and this was obviously outside of the country it would not be Amosoto often telling the story and it would mm. not be Amosoto's perspective it would rather be someone else describing us mm. and mm. it's really not supposed to be like that yeah you know? these platforms so. are so important really really important they really are so I mean, it's it's really great that um, she's able to design our, our our product and tell our story, and that mm. we can actually give other artists the platform to also tell their own story, and collectively we build something together. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you have to be in charge of your narrative, honestly. We're definitely aided by the times that it's easier to do that now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the technology exists. Yes. Yes. This is Shades and Layers. If you miss the meaning of anything during this conversation, further information is provided in the show notes. Right now, we've come to the part of the episode where we get to know our guest on a personal level. First up, Mudiahi's favorite childhood memories. So your personal journey then, do you have top three memories of how you grew up and the people who were around you? Yeah, I would say one of my favorite uh, childhood memories is my father's graduation. And he's always very surprised that I, I actually remember that day. So I think it was his first graduation for his, um, his, his VCOM. Mm. And um, so a lot of my family members were there, and including uh, my, my grandmother, and then she's now late, you know? Mm. And I just remember feeling so happy because I have a really good relationship with my dad. And mm. he was like, he was so excited that day. I think about watching him go on stage and I think about us later going to take a picture and it's still one of my favorite pictures today. Yeah. So there's that. Um, what did I say? I remember quite strongly. My sister is also um, quite interested in fashion design and art in general. 
Mm. So she used to draw a whole lot, and uh, because she's she's five years older than me, right? So mm-hmm. she was always um, <laughs> her drawings were always much better than mine. <laughs> um, but I just remember um, I'd always wondered how she drew her um, her fashion illustrations, and so she kind of taught me how to how she started like what would I call it? What would I call it the skeleton of her fashion illustrations? Yeah, <laughs> that's a really strange memory to have. But I really do remember her telling me that eyes need to be this certain distance apart, and this is how to draw a dress. And because I really am a, a big fashion fan. Yeah, that may be something that's just always stayed with me. Yeah. Oh, I say my third memory is I used to go spend my winters with my with my aunt mm-hmm. in Gacha, and this is in the south of the country. It's also quite um, more mountainous there than it yeah. is here in the capital city, and it's cold. <laughs> Very Snow cold everywhere. <laughs> Honestly, um, but I just remember uh, with my cousins and my sister, we would just explore. I mean, obviously, there wasn't much to do because it's more of an isolated part of the country. And uh, in terms of like entertainment facilities for children at that time, there really mm-hmm. were, you know, there wasn't much. So, I mean, all the fun that we had, it was really fun that we made for ourselves. And I think the first time that I ever thought to myself, wow, maybe the earth is kind of cool. We had just climbed a mountain and we were just sitting at the top of it and just um, looked down, right? And we looked down. And I just thought to myself, it's really interesting how (laughs) Mm, mm. it's just fascinating how, okay, Mm. so we are on a mountain and down there, there are lower mountains. Mm. And this is actually how the landscape of the country looks. Mm. I think that's the first time that I thought to myself, this is very beautiful. Yeah. But the Maluti Mountains are special, man. Yeah. Really, really special. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful out there. So do you still draw? No, I don't. (laughs) So there's a certain point in high school, right? Because you have to take art in high school. Um, where they allow you to choose your subjects for further study. And, mm. um, I def- and I recall dropping art and I really was more focused on um, geography and history. Oh, time. really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And why, th- mm-hmm. why that in particular? Why geography and history? Yeah. Uh, I've always just had such an interest to see, uh, firstly, that's how the earth is, right? Mm. Just the natural structure of it just fascinated me from when I was a young child. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I would, um, I read quite a bit right so as a child I just read pretty much anything that was in, in the library uh, and I just found it interesting that um, the meaning that different cultures the different people would create on the same earth mm. and and what kind of systems that gave birth to and, and how that led to the functioning of our society today so mm. I just wanted mm. to understand more about that yeah and so naturally that's how I came to eventually study what I'm studying today sure yeah and also mm-hmm. expressing it in your work with uh, Baradi yeah yeah so how do you care for yourself? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely something that I'm still working on because I yeah, I probably have a tendency to just work myself to the bone. I really do try to at the very least take some time out like during during the day. Mm. Uh, just to kind of, I mean, I, I keep my phone on silent specifically because I find it very distracting in terms of trying to be present with whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm. So uh, just during the day, maybe put it away, just do yoga or mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. sort of breathing exercise or literally just have a conversation that's completely not to do with uh, school, not to do with work, just just a, a random conversation about anything, really. Mm. Um, I find that it's so easy for me to get consumed with the things that I do. And also the state of the world is incredibly saddening right now. And yep. just trying to cross. Um, you know, trying to craft these pockets of joy for myself is something that helps me, mm-hmm. although I, I'm still really in the process of figuring out how best to do this and how consistently to do it as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. The consistent part. Yeah. We all struggle yeah, with yeah. that. <laughs> Definitely. And I mean, one of the easiest ways, it's funny that I'm saying this on a podcast, but really podcasts really help me. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yay>. do <laughs> <laughs> I could just uh, go for a walk and listen to a podcast. Yeah. You know? and, and in that time, then I'm really not thinking about my own things. It's really more like I'm listening to, exactly. to, to the story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're entertained and maybe you learn something while you're at it. Absolutely, because I mean, the, the main thing that I would prefer to do to really, you know, as, as a self-care activity is to read. Mm. Absolutely love reading. Mm. Um, but reading takes so much time. <laughs> Audiobooks. <laughs> it's really because I just have that um, thing in my head, right? Because when I started reading, you know, it's a physical book. Yeah, yeah. Touching the pages. Sure. And, um, I try to read some things, but because I really prefer to be to start and finish something, and I can't do that with a novel these days mm. because there's so much happening. Short stories have been a savior. So I appreciate those. <laughs> so, if you had to write a memoir, what would it be called, and why? I feel like it would definitely be called "How to Get Here in One Piece." Because when I think about my life and all the things that I want to pursue, like. There's so much that I want to do for myself. There's, there's so many ways that I would like Bagadi to grow. I definitely sometimes feel as though, yeah, you know, the pursuit of these dreams is uh, very taxing. It's a spiritual and physical body. Mm. But I do believe that I'm going to get there. So probably if I were to have a memoir and now I'm like, what, in my 70s? <laughs> it would really be called How to Get Here in One Piece. <laughs> oh, nice. Thank what are your you. dreams for yourself and uh, Aradi? Well, my dream for Bagadi is really for us to to be able to to just produce all the products that we want to produce. Right? Now, mm. I don't want to give entirely too much away, but I mean, naturally, our focus is on on wool and mohair products, right? And mm-hmm. so we are really trying to um, to have more rugs and more throws, more new pieces as well. You know, such as maybe maybe pillowcases. Maybe we want we want to work with other different types of local materials, for example. If you mm. would um, describe um, a a Mosoto in the element or how they're portrayed for tourism, this person is wearing a Siana Marena, a, um, a type of, of woolen blanket. Mm-hmm. And they're also wearing a Mokorotlo hat. And so this is made out of grass. Yep. And working with grass is something that we're looking to do and then and have more to have those woven products. You know? Exciting. So, yeah. yeah. So just if we could find ways to make the, the product that we really love here in Lesotho. Mm. And so if, for example, one day I could be in a room and I could say, we did, we made that couch, we, the rug, the throw, the table, the pillowcases, the curtains. That's, that's my dream for us. And that's definitely going to take some time. Um, and it's going to take a lot of work with different types of um, artisans, but I know that we can do it. I know mm. that we can do it because it's possible. Yeah. So you're in it for the long haul. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we're going to get there. Yeah. yeah right. um, so, Mudiehi, thank you so much for your time, first of all, and for being so flexible. Uh, the time zones can really drive one mad. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Where can people find you? Where can they buy your products? Primarily, you can find us on our Instagram page, which is Kirona Baradi. And then you could also find us directly from that page. You will be then linked to our website. And on our website, you could really visit our stockist page and see where to buy products closest to your region. And also, if you really would like something and you find it's not possible to access through those stockists, you really can contact us and you can make a plan. Perfect.
And that's it from me this time around on Shades and Layers. Thanks to Mudiehi for sharing her story and journey with co-founder Mwako Nto. You can find more information on their brand and other cultural references mentioned in the episode within the show notes. If you liked this conversation, please go ahead and share it with others. I'm Kutlonis Kosana Ritchie. Thanks for listening. And until next time, please do take good care. <laughs>